It's our appropriate songs to sing as we walk into a very powerful and serious text. Those of you who know me know I, I love to have fun. I love to joke around. That's my default. And um, even occasionally a little sarcasm. <laughs> Today is not one of those passages. This is your first time at Trinity. Um, we are thankful that you are here. We believe in teaching what is next. Amen, church? What does God's Word say? So today is not a TED Talk. Today is not how to become a better you, because frankly, we don't need better us. Amen? We need more of Christ. Today's text is on biblical repentance. And frankly, how we have redefined it to be easy and painless in a culture that wants it all. I want to start out with a word of prayer, but first let's read the text. It's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has has come and a mighty wind, the sound of a mighty wind, and like as if fire was resting on them, and they spoke in the the many native languages, you know, supernaturally and spiritually. They spoke in all these different known dialects, and all the the pilgrims that came to Jerusalem heard the mighty works of Jesus Christ in their own language. And then Peter stood up and he gave a message. Straight from Scripture. Like John said, that Scripture is sharper than any two-edged sword. And he unpacked Joel chapter 2 Christologically and Acts chapter 16 and 110 Christologically. And they were cut to the core. And this is where we pick up in verse 37. It's only been around 50 days since Jesus was crucified. And when the multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes of people heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? My hope is that by the end of this text, you will ask yourself the same question. What must I do? And Peter said to them, Do what you want. You do you. What's your text say? Repent. Each one of you. Notice it's not a group plan. This is not a group plan. It is an individual call. Each one of you to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, the author Luke here says, I won't give them to you all, I'll just summarize them. And with with a much longer message, he solemnly testified and kept on encouraging and exhorting them, saying, Be saved out of this perverse generation. So then, those who heard received His word and were baptized. And that day, 
there was added to their number about 3,000 souls. So the church goes from 120 to 3,000. Publicly baptized in Jerusalem, a city who just 50 days ago crucified Christ. Let's ask for God's blessing, and then we'll walk through this together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that your Holy Spirit would draw us. I pray that your Spirit would go before us. Father, strip away the veneer of our religious humanism. In a Christian culture that has replaced salvation with what we do and where we go rather than who we love. Father, start with me. I confess my sins before my church family. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this room and pierce our hearts that we might cry out, what must we do? Father, untie my tongue Give me clear thoughts. My greatest desire is that we would not leave here talking about the message, but rather talking about your Son. You are God, and you are worthy. And Father, I pray these things and I ask them in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. If you're willing to be challenged, say amen. Amen. I wrote a poem. Mary had a little lamb. Wait, no, that one's already been written. There once was a young man, nerdy in all of his ways. He grew up in a Christian home and with his Christian friends he would play. He went to a Christian church and school, and over time, this Christian culture was all he knew. So he said to his mommy, make me a Christian too. So on his knees, he made his confession, repeating the words mom said led to heaven. Yet nothing changed, because after all, his family was Baptist and knew it all. That's right. How does a boy... Raised in a bubble, really have to change in a life of no struggle. And as he got older, nothing really changed. He just forced himself to church while remaining the same. Frankly, he did not have a desire for church, so reasons to miss he would search life, injury, work, or play. All these things were used to stay away. Prayer was virtually non-existent. Truth be told, he had no desire to be consistent, just enough to give the appearance. Because after all, life is easier with hell insurance. Lust, apathy, appearance, these were his desires. Just polished differently so no one the wiser. Yet immersed in a culture that ensured his eternal life, his conscience again was free from any strife. Through high school and into adulthood, deep down inside, he knew his love for Christ was really a lie. Because how can you love someone when seasons pass with no desire for him? 
Yet those around him once again guaranteed his redemption because after all, he repeated a prayer of confession. And wave after wave, lacquer after lacquer, it began to build. It coated his conscience that left him ready for hell. He truly believed that his sins were forgiven even without any commitment ever given. And if anyone challenged his salvation, he would just pull out that old weapon. How can you question my home is heaven? My lifestyle, my love has nothing to do with saying my faith is true. And with his callous soul to Bible college, he would go. He entered his classes and to become a pastor, though he knew Jesus was not his master. He studied theology and hermeneutics with absolutely no desire of his own to distribute. Then to church to one day, looking again for a reason to stay away, he went to a country church with about 30 people in its day. The music was old, the piano was awful. Notes that came out rang so shallow. The ceiling was stained, the lights were low. The brown paneling gave an ugly hello. Nothing about this moment was shiny or well packaged. And then he heard the elder say, turn to this passage. The passage was simple and from the Bible, verse by verse, as if every word was vital. A spark was lit that day, for he knew he was astray. No drama, no praise band, no fancy master church plan. Just the simple text was in his hand. The young man's heart began and was stripped bare. He felt for the first time naked and aware. No excuses, no justifications could be made. The boy wept as God's word was displayed on an old creaky pew. He longed for life anew because one by one the layers of lies removed like tape over a gaping wound. With each pull he saw that he was doomed. It did not matter that he was conservative he knew then his faith was false positive and then he cried out what must I do that boy was me the text Acts chapter 2 it's funny that day as that old piano played The songs were a little longer awful because they spoke of his personal miracle. The style, the beat, the tempo, they no longer mattered. Only that it was about Jesus. And to him, I was gathered. My prayers this morning is that you may have the same response to this passage as I did in 1998. There are many in the church right now, and I am not talking generically. I'm talking right now, here, here, in this church, in these chairs, right now, who are living the same experience. People who claim Christ's salvation, but have not truly given their lives to Him. Content to layer that gaping wound called spiritual deadness with as many layers of Christian culture as they can find. But truth be told, here it is, You are not saved. If you cannot sing, 
with absolute truth, not only in your intentions, but in your actions, if you cannot sing, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. You don't have it. You know, nothing has really changed in 2,000 years. These Jews that Peter is speaking to believe they are saved. They believe they're part of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's Pentecost right now. It is They are there to worship the one true God by bringing their first fruits of sacrifices at Pentecost. This, this group of people that Peter is talking to already believe they're in the kingdom. Do you? I did. They believe they are saved because of their nationality, their code of conduct, their culture, their parents. This passage is about repentance. So therefore, that is what the message will be. It is our longing here at Trinity that the meaning of the text be the message in the morning. I want to lovingly warn you. I will be teaching things that may go contrary to what most of us have been raised in this city. It is because I love you. I am not interested in maintaining a brand of denominational style of Christianity. I'm not interested in the false message that says true salvation can produce a dormant and dead Christian who see Jesus as an optional pastime to their lives. I'm interested in teaching salvation through Christ alone, through God's Word alone. So let's look at it. 37 through 40. Now when they heard the Old Testament unpackaged Christologically, they were pierced to the hearts and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we have to do? And Peter said to them, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and all who are far off and, 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 and far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on begging them. Repent from this generation. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When this culture, who taught from the moment they were born, that they were saved... Aren't you glad we don't live in a culture like that anymore? When they heard Peter's message from Scripture, they they were pierced to the heart. Could it be that many in the church today are no longer pierced to the heart and truly repent because we don't hear the Scriptures anymore? We hear what we think about the Scriptures today. They were pierced to the heart. This is a remorseful conviction to the point of pain. It is used only here in the New Testament. The first message of the early church. 
As Peter unpacks verse by verse, expositorily, he exegetes the Word of God. And then the first message we hear of repentance. They are stunned by their inability to excuse their religious humanism. They stood spiritually naked before Him. Have you ever stood absolutely naked before the Lord? May I ask you a question right now? Are you excusing an ungodly, habitual disinterest in God right now? Are you looking to keep a lifestyle rather than to give your life to Christ? My friends, if we must dismiss and explain or rationalize our habitual lack of love and obedience for Christ, could it possibly be that the simplest answer is the true answer? Because we have never truly repented. Will you at least be open to the possibility that maybe you prayed something that did not save your soul? Just be open to it. That our apathy may point to a reality. A reality we may not want to acknowledge. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for forgiveness, it is not evidenced by rationalizing rationalizing our sin and apathy away or saying, it's just the American way. The work of the Holy Spirit is evidenced in a naked plea. What shall I do? Peter will give us the answer that will rock the modern Christian church today. For in it, he will tell us how to receive what all of us want, the forgiveness of sins. And the answer is so simple. Repent. This seems obvious from Scripture. And it seems odd that we even have to unpack this word. But the truth be told, we have eliminated this word from the Gospel. Or at least we have redefined it. That allows us to live the way we want to live while claiming a salvation we don't have. We have made repentance into nothing more than saying, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. While this is partly true, it is not biblical repentance. I think we do this because it makes salvation easy. It makes salvation comfortable. And it makes salvation painless. And let me make this crystal clear. Salvation is simple. However, salvation is not easy and it is not painless. We will see this truth in a moment, but let's stay on track. The the word repent biblically speaks of a complete change of purpose in life. From the world to God. 1 Thessalonians 1, Acts chapter 3. It is an essential component to genuine conversion, not a member of religious humanism. 
John Calvin said this, It is the true turning of your entire life over to God. Have you done this? Have you turned your entire life, your heart, your mind, your intellect, your emotions, your desires, your passions, your goals? We talked about this in membership class, what I'm going to call submission class today. Everything we view should be viewed through is this good for the church? Is it, is it obedient to Christ? And is it healthy for my family? And if it doesn't get through that strain, throw it away! There are three elements to true repentance. One is intellectual. To agree with God and admit we're wrong. We teach this today. But frankly, we teach this because it's easy. How many here have no problem admitting you're wrong? How many here would say, sometimes the easiest path forward is just say, you're wrong. Can I get a witness at all? Even, right, you said newlywed here, right? All right. I'm wrong. You're right. Let's just move on. We do that with God. It is intellectual. God, I agree with you. I am a sinner. I admit I am wrong. That's easy. The next one is emotional. I'm sorry for what I'm wrong about. I'm sorry for my sins. I grieve at what I've done. May I ask you a simple question? Does sinning against God bring sorrow to your heart? And let me push it just a little bit further. Does apathy grieve your heart? Or are you fine with it? But these two we teach because they're easy, they're comfortable, and truth be told, they're painless. But Total repentance has a third part to it, and it is volitional, which is a fancy word to mean voluntary. I want you to memorize this because it's been left out of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the American church today. Volitional is a deliberate, premeditated will to change your entire purpose in life. We teach this as optional. And it is not. I want you to look at these three things together, all of it. This is the biblical definition of true repentance. Repentance says, I know I am wrong. I'm sorry for what I have done. And I will completely redefine and reorientate and completely change my life. Everything is now different. The old is gone. Church, what has come? The new. Are you new? Or are you that little boy that said a prayer that changed nothing? Anything less than all three of these is short of biblical salvation. Some people attend church, get upset at this. They will even attack it and say, this, my friends, is called Lordship Salvation. So let me be clear. Yes, 
Yes. Again, I say, yes, amen, amen. It is true. Nowhere in the entire Word of God will you find salvation that does not include a Lord. Accepting Christ is giving your life to His authority. Oh, and by the way, it is the kindness of God that brings us there. Some people will even reject this and say that repentance like this is not necessary for salvation because it is a work. If I must turn or change something, that then is a work. Oh, may I speak as though it is from God's Word. Stop it! This is purposeful ignorance for the sake of selfish living. The Bible is clear that both repentance and faith are a gift of God. So this makes it clear. If you have not had genuine repentance, that is, all three of these things, then you have not received the gift of salvation. You have, however, ascribed to religious humanism. Oh, that we would be pierced to the hearts this morning by the teaching of God's Word enjoying these Jewish people whose very culture had reduced the Scriptures and promises of salvation to all simply because of their culture. Oh, that we would join them because in our hearts we are them. What must I do? I want to pause for a moment. If true biblical repentance is not necessary, boy, Peter blew it here, didn't he? Oh, by the way, Jesus blew it too. John the Baptist blew it too. The apostles, they messed up. Because every one of these say, repent, 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 turn, turn. Are they wrong? They all taught a heart, mind, and life repentance. Even Jesus said to those He gave salvation, finish this church, go and sin no what? More! Peter should have answered the question like we do today. He should have, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, with the Spirit filling them and the tongues echoing off the walls, he should have just said, here's the good news, brothers. You don't have to do anything. Just believe and go on your merry way. You do you. You go to your private island of rationalization. None of us will do anything. Pastor, then how do I know if I've truly repentance, repented? Albert Barnes writes this, Genuine repentance is total commitment to Jesus Christ. False repentance dreads the consequences of sin. True repentance dreads the sin itself. Have you engaged in a form of hell insurance? Have you said what you need to say 
to give you the ability to ease your conscience and that you're not going to hell because you're afraid of the consequences. That's not repentance. My friend Spurgeon nailed it when he said, repentance and faith are twins. They are born together and they live together. The thought of a person claiming Jesus Christ in one hand while excusing a life of apathy and sin in the other is utterly inconceivable to God. Repentance, here it is. Repentance is the radical reorientation of our life to Christ. Can I ask you a question? Is your life radically different from the world? Pastor, this may not be what I was taught all my years in church. And my response to this is this. It doesn't matter what you were taught in church. It only matters what Jesus teaches in His Bible, the whole counsel of God. Have you truly repented? Are you pierced to the heart? I know this may not be the easy one, two, three salvation we were taught and promised. And you want to know what? You're right. It's not. But here it is. Jesus never made salvation easy. What did He say to the rich young ruler? Go get an ice cream cone. What did He say? Talk to me, church. But that seems like a complete reorientation of life, doesn't it? What is He asking these Jewish believers to do? Talk to me. Baptized. Complete reorientation of life. Jesus never made salvation easy. He never made it painless. Neither did Peter. Neither did Paul. Neither did John. And neither shall we. Look at what he does here. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We will not skip over this. There is a lot of theology here. Now some say theology is dead. Let's avoid theology. Theology divides. Just give us Jesus. And to that I say, what Jesus will we get? And what salvation will we find without theology? Truth of the matter is, every one of us does theology every minute of our day. All of us here are theologians. Everyone here is a theologian. Everyone here practices their theology. It's just that many of us, including me, are really bad at it. We live out our theology every day. It's just, are you good at it or bad? Your commitment to the body of Christ, whether you are here on Sunday, you make that decision based on your theology. Where you spend your time, your passions, your money, your gifts, your time, your talent, it's your theology. How accurate is your theology? All of us make every decision of our lives based on theology, so let me just make a quick point here in this text. Baptism is not required for salvation. The Bible often teaches salvation without any mention of the requirement of baptism. And with a subject so near and dear to be accurate, boy, would they have missed the boat here. 
Find it in Acts 3, 10, 16, 26, Galatians. And by the way, let me be loving, but let me be true. There is never a single example in all of Scripture of an infant being baptized. Now that's divisive. That's theology! The order has always been in Scripture. Repentance, faith, baptism. Baptism is an outward evidence of true repentance. Salvation. And I want to push it a little bit further. And then than just the act of getting dunked in water. Because there are a lot of spiritually dead people who have been baptized. Do we think for a moment the act of being immersed in water means anything to God? No. It is the heart it represents that matters. Baptism is the fruit of true repentance. A complete reorientation of life and purpose. We must take into account the historical context in which Peter is talking here. We must see what Peter is asking because it is understanding what this moment means then when he said it that we can proper, we need to go back 2,000 years and understand what Peter's talking about. He's not talking in a vacuum in the, in, in Rosa Park Square in Grand Rapids during our festival. He's in Jerusalem 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ with the impartation of the Holy Spirit with tongues of, surrounded by, by people who all think they're in the kingdom who just crucified Jesus Christ. That is the lens in which we pull this, this request and set it in to our lives today. Peter is asking them to publicly break from the culture and the values they identify with. He is asking them to leave their religious humanism to publicly identify with Jesus Christ a deliberate, premeditated will to change your entire purpose in life. Uh, Jesus is not a culture. He He is the love of your life. Do we even comprehend in our easy believism, grand rapid sway of the wheat and tares? Do we even comprehend what Peter is asking here? Do you know what it would cost these Jewish people? They would have to identify with Christ and repurpose their lives in the very culture that just crucified Him. D.L. Bach cuts right to the bone. Peter calls for each one to be publicly baptized after repentance in order to express, here it is, volitional repentance, a visible turning to Jesus and a turning away from this sinful way of life. There is no going back. Salvation was either all in or it is all out. It was nothing less than a radical call for a radical break from life as usual. 
There is no more damning comment than to hear the words, I didn't know you were a Christian. So you see what's happening here? Peter does not allow for any secret disciples. And he does not allow for any easy, painless salvation. No dormant followers allowed. No fruitless members wanted. There is no dormant followers that produce no fruit and desire no no growth. Let me make this clear. Peter made accepting Christ exceedingly difficult. He will weed out any conversions that are not genuine. Oh church, do we do this? No. We pad our numbers. How do we call people to Christ today? Bow your heads. What? Close your eyes. Get ready for your bold reorientation. Get ready for your bold repentance. Bow your heads, close your eyes. No one looking. Come get your easy prize. Come get your secret free gift. No one has to know you're getting saved. You can hide it under a bushel. No one needs to see it shine. We say it's easy and I say it is not. This is what is killing the church today. It is not the culture outside. It is the lost apathy inside. It's killing the church. It is not repentance. And it contains no salvation. Our culture has even created what what Grand Rapids calls inactive members of the church. What? What is that? Do you think for the moment, in a moment in this culture, what Peter is asking, that he says, or do nothing and we'll just put you in a different list that contains the same promise. You think for a moment the early church had inactive members of the kingdom? Can you see Paul visiting Titus and saying, oh, how's things going here? Hey, now, what are these names over here? Oh, Paul, those are the inactive members in the church. These are the believers who don't live out what they say they believe, who don't participate in what they say they love. They don't, they don't live out their faith. We call them inactive Christians. You want to know what Jesus and Peter and Paul would call inactive members in the church? Lost! Lost! If you have genuinely repented, Genuinely, it will be evidenced in the public breaking away from this world as usual and identifying and obeying Jesus Christ. The idea of an unbaptized Christian was unfathomable to the apostles that assumed every true repentant believer would radically break from their old life. Hence the words, be saved out of 
this perverse generation. We are almost done. Will you stand naked before God this morning? Will you be pierced? Will you allow for the possibility that maybe you bought something that isn't genuine? Let this be clear. Every generation, yours and mine, we always say, oh, those were the good old days. The only good old days was in the garden before sin. Amen? Everything after those good old days is wicked and perverse. Your generation and mine are part of many generations that constitute corrupt humanity. Let us remember what baptism is. It is a public example of repentance. To turn away from our sinful life and values. Those who are truly repentant will not reflect this perverse culture, but rather identify with Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a simple question, pierced to the heart. Have you truly repented? Have you truly repented? Can you hear any whispers of rationalization and justification? We often celebrate, by the way, that 3,000 were added to the number this day. 3,000! Hokey patokey, right? If we had 3,000 people added to the church this morning, I would resign! You think I'm joking? Can you imagine the discipleship responsibility in this moment? We often celebrate that 3,000 were added to the number. I would contend that 3,000 is low. In such a moment as this, this is not our prize, this is Pentecost. Much more would have accepted Christ if Peter just offered an easy salvation that we offer today. If all they had to do, if, if all they, they did have to do is repent or, or, or radically identify with Christ, if, if that was just removed, if they didn't have to repent or radically change their lives through public back baptism in a, in a culture that would have, would have eviscerated them, If all they had to do is secretly raise their hand and blend into the same culture. If all they had to do is secretly raise their hand and agree to something that cost them nothing, would not that number have been much greater? Luke could have reported that 13,000 were added to their number that day. But then again, the early church would have looked a lot like the church today, filled with secret disciples who confess the Lord they do not follow, believe something they do not live, love a person they do not know, claiming repentance of sin while they still love it, convinced of a salvation that never happened. Well, pastor, don't you see? Don't you think you're being a bit strong here? Yes! Many in each of our generations today claim salvation in Jesus Christ 
Yet our daughters dress with immodesty and call it fashion. Our sons embrace lust and call it appreciation. Our men avoid being godly leaders and call it downtime. Our women worship their children and call it motherhood. Our grandparents withdraw and call it retirement. And our churches call sin a lifestyle and holiness judgmental. And yet we claim a salvation with no evidence of repentance. We point to a confession while living a lie. Having never radically given our lives to Christ, oh, may I say today, we may fool ourselves with this lie, but we are not fooling the one who holds the keys to heaven and to hell. Oh, today, are your, are your hearts pierced? Will you stand naked before a holy and loving God and throw aside the false teaching of a shadow hiding, secret confessing, world blending, sin keeping claim of salvation? And in light of this truth, just simply say, what must I do? And the answer today is the same answer then. The answer is repent! For religious humanism is false Christianity. With our intellect, confess we are sinful. Emotionally, Grieve that we have sinned against a holy God and voluntarily and radically reorientate our lives to Christ. But pastor, where does faith come in? Oh, it's all over the place. It's splattered everywhere. Repentance is the gift of God that acknowledges our need for forgiveness. And faith is the free gift of God that trusts that that forgiveness comes only from Him. I have one question for you today and we are done. Answer it honestly. Stand naked, pierced. If God is drawing you right now with His gift of true repentance, do not slap His hand away. Stare at it. Answer this one question. I don't care how long you've attended church or how many times you have prayed a prayer. Have you fully repented and placed your faith in God for the forgiveness of sin? The answer is not found in your intentions. The answer is not found in your attendance. The answer is found in a life that desires Christ with all your heart. Friend, let's do away with unbiblical, secret, no change, blend in. Let me say that again. I'm almost done. I want you to hang on this every word as though your eternity depends on it. Because it does. Let us do away with this unbiblical, Grand Rapids, secret, no change, blend in, easy believism that requires no true repentance. 
Now this is rarely done in the church today because of fear that we might look like we have failed. I do not care if it appears that I have failed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I care if we fail to offer. Remember what Peter asked them? Publicly, boldly, make a commitment for Christ. I know this is scary, but it is nothing compared to what Peter asked. If we cannot make a bold decision here, we will never, ever, ever, ever live it out there. So with no heads bowed and no eyes closed, pierced to the heart before the Lord, if you want to make sure that you have true repentance, true salvation, right now, just slip your hand up. I want Jesus Christ. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see you weeping, brother. I see you. I see you. I see you. Pastoral team, elders, deaconesses. Prepare yourself mentally to lead someone in repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. Because if you raised your hand this morning, I want you to meet me in my near my office and the pastors will be there, the elders will be there and we will pray with you and we will walk with you. It does not matter if you pray to prayer. Today is the day of salvation. I have one more question. Pastor, I am not or I am, sorry, Pastor, I am an unbaptized believer. I have repented. I have given my life to the Lord. But my understanding of Scripture was skewed. Or maybe I just didn't care. The Spirit of God is telling me to obey. The Spirit of God is telling me to obey. It is not important how I was raised or how I was taught. Tradition means nothing if we are not obeying Christ. With no heads bowed and no eyes closed, I I want to publicly unidentify with this world. And I want to identify with Christ in the waters of baptism. Raise your hand right now. I want to identify with Christ and leave this world behind. My sister. 
Your homework is to email the office this week and we will get that done. And we will rejoice. And we will sing. Not because the song is the temple we like or the tune, but because it's about Jesus Christ and the miracle he gave us. This is a hard-hitting message. So next week we get some we get some application. What does the church that is truly repented and believe look like? Next week we will study what that looks like. And by God's grace, we just won't study it. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And as I close in a word of prayer, if you raised your hand for salvation during this prayer, I'm going to ask that you dismiss yourself and you head to outside of my office. Elders, deacons, deaconesses, I want you to do the same. And I want you to find someone who appropriately will relate to you. And I want you to find a place and I want you to pray a prayer of repentance and salvation. So that there is no confusion. Dismiss, all of you, dismiss yourself during this prayer. And radically reorientate your life to Christ. Dismiss yourselves now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are thankful that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, we confess our religious humanism. And we desperately want true Christianity. Bless us with your word. Father, we ask but one thing from you, and we what we ask, we believe we have chosen well. Give us Christ. Father, draw these people into relationship with you. And I pray this thing. And I ask it, Lord, in your son's precious name. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for bearing with me. You are dismissed.